everyone, and welcome again to Submitted for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. And today on the show, we have a very talented author. She's written two middle grade fantasy books, The Water in the Wild and its sequel, The Doorway in the Deep. She's also written a young adult novel, Lucky Few, and has another on the way in mid-2017. Tosh, is it Tosh Hart's Tolstoy? Tosh, you got Tosh. it. Woo. Uh-huh. Woo. <laughs> Wiping that sweat off my brow. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the great Catherine Ormsby. Welcome to the show, ma'am. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that very flattering intro. <laughs> no, thanks, thanks. I, uh, it, I, it was all right. I could have done better. I, you owe, I owe you better. Next. Time. I mean, there wasn't a brass fanfare, but I'll forgive you. But <laughs> no, I'll, I'll add it. I'll add it in post. Like, awesome. <laughs> like the, those, like cool, like sports horns, like. Yes, dream fulfilled. <laughs> Uh, how, how are things going for you today, Miss? Good. They're going well. I'm actually in my hometown right now. I traveled up here yesterday to spend some time with family, and I have an author event in Louisville early tomorrow morning. So Ooh. things going well. And like like your author event? It's with three other middle grade authors, so that takes the pressure off. I don't have to uh, just talk for hours and hours, <laughs> <laughs> uh. making stuff up as I go. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's the worst when, like, if they drop out and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, it really is. If no one shows up at this event, we at least have each other's shoulders to cry on. <laughs> yeah. And, and just talking to each other and be like, hey, so how's your book coming? <laughs> yeah, <that's-> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. Uh, I'm really, I'm really excited to talk to you about this one that's coming up. Which Me is too. which is one of the it's it's another one of those those famous ones because because mm-hmm. of old Billy Shatner. Indeed, which, which he actually has um, property here in Kentucky. Oh, really? Like outside of the city where we live. My father saw him at dinner a few months ago. Really? So, yeah, we got that personal connection. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, you know. Will and I and the family, you know, we just every once in a while we hang out at the same uh, Golden Corral. You better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let, let's uh, let's get into the show. Uh, this one, Nick of Time, obviously, is the one we're talking about. Episode seven. It's originally aired November 18th in 1960. Stars, of course, William Shatner as Don Carter and Patricia Breslin as Pat Carter. Uh, she was in two episodes of Twilight Zone, uh, just as well as William Shatner. And then mm-hmm. di- directed by Richard L. Bear, who directed seven episodes, including, of course, To Serve Man, and Telplay by a certain wonderful writer, Richard Matheson. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's so good. I love him. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. So as far as this synopsis goes, you know, I, this one, the great thing about Richard Matheson teleplays is they're all fairly straightforward. They have a, just a very simple idea that they, they draw up. And this one's no different. Uh, Don Carter and his, and his new wife, Pat, they break down, their car breaks down in a small Ohio town, Ridge, Ridgeview. Uh, while they're waiting on their car to get fixed, repaired, they stop into a little diner where there's this this little mystic seer, this little, this little machine that pops out cards that tell you your fortune. And they start to see that this mystic seer, well, Don believes that this mystic seer is telling the future. Well, they almost get hit by a car a little bit later. 
and that seems to confirm his bias. So they go back in there. He tries to convince her. She's uh, Pat's not having it, and eventually they decide. Okay, you know what? Let's not let this thing decide our fate. Let's be confident about our own future. So they get out. They leave, and another couple comes in just as they do. Uh, and this couple, clearly tired, they look like they haven't showered in about six weeks. <laughs> they they come in and start asking, "How do we get out of here? Is there any way out of town?" Unable to separate themselves from the machine. Mm-hmm. So, my first question for you, Miss, uh, what are your initial thoughts on this episode? Yeah, so I'm a really big fan of this episode. I think one of the things that I like most about it is that you go into Twilight Zone expecting for there to be a supernatural element, like with kind of the name of the game. Mm-hmm. But with this one, um, like whether or not it is supernatural kind of just depends on your interpretation. Uh, and more than that, which I'm sure we'll get into this soon, but you know, as Pat posits, it doesn't even matter necessarily that the supernatural element exists. I think that's like the big crux of it is even if what's happening is um, supernatural, even if this mystic seer can predict the future, um, does that really affect the characters' lives? And I think that's such a nice break from, I mean, I love just a traditional Twilight Zone episode where someone's life just gets totally screwed over because of a supernatural element. But in this case, it almost seemed to turn that idea on its head and it was uh, fighting back against uh, that element and not letting it control the story. So uh, I like that about it. I think it's got um, a really interesting perspective and I think the writing is amazing um, for a show that is kind of notorious for not having very three-dimensional female characters. Um, I think this is an exception. I I really like Pat's character a lot. I think she's a a strong, nuanced character, and I'm sure we can get into that more later, too. But um, I think Matheson really gave her some of the best lines of the episode. Um, So from a female perspective particularly, I I really appreciate that as well. And it's William Shatner, so it's just instantly a classic. (laughs) (laughs) One thing about William Shatner, uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll start. I'll start at the at the back end of what you're saying, and then then move to the front end in reverse mm-hmm. order. So William Shatner, yeah. he's, he's he's just so handsome. He's so uh, handsome he back is. then. Like, he really is. He was a looker. <laughs> uh, I I I found myself at sometimes saying, "Yeah, you know what? He he was hot. He was <laughs> kind of he's kind of a hot guy." Um, and, and so good for him. Uh, now, now he's old. He's not probably so hot. Yes. Which I did actually have like a personal sighting of him myself two years ago. Really? Looking very different. Yes. There's a Comet Kong that comes into Lexington and my father is a huge Trekkie. Ah. So he and I, he imparted this love to me. So whenever there's anything slightly nerdy or sci-fi going on, we both are. (laughs) Uh, sort of uh, <laughs> partners in crime, as it yeah. were. Yeah. So he was there along with George Takei, and we went and got their autographs. And afterwards, um, we're standing outside of Rupp Arena, so this big basketball arena downtown Lexington. Mm-hmm. And I hear some shouts from behind me, and I turn around, and William Shatner is like on one of those motor scooters. <laughs> and there are <laughs> two security guards flanking him on either side, running alongside him, and he just sort of like speeds past us like <laughs> and that was 
everything I could hope and dream for as a Trekkie. <laughs> so that was my most recent encounter with William Shatner. And clearly he's, he's an old man now. Yeah. So he's, he's not quite what he was in 1960, but that, that, that's good a, heaven. That's such a weird uh, piece of imagery. <laughs> to, uh, to, to yeah, it. it's seared on my memory. <laughs> <laughs> but an episode like this reminds me of what he was like in his prime yeah. and why he was cast for Star Trek and, and became such a legend. Yeah, it's it's like my wife with Tom Selleck. She, <laughs> like, early Tom Selleck, that stash, stash to, yes. to kill. Uh, mm -hmm. But maybe not so much anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> um, and then so then, uh, going going back a little bit further... Uh, you you mentioned the um, Pat's character, right? Mm -hmm. I I I agree with you because I think that Twilight Zone is generally they don't they don't give their women characters enough n enough to make them feel alive, right? They right they, they, they flesh out the men that that's that's all fine and dandy, but usually the women are just kind of the side characters that don't they don't add to the, the plot or or maybe not an add, but they. They're secondary, essentially, and I, th right. I think Pat's in this episode, like she's the one who gets him to leave. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's a common trope, and you know, anything where there's a strange element involved in the narrative, whether it's horror, sci-fi, or supernatural, it, you know, you generally have to have like the straight man, but then you also have to have the character who reacts the way I guess our id would react, just like with complete shock and horror and. Mm sort of an emotional breakdown. And I think a lot of those histrionic roles were assigned to women because it was 1960 and that was easy to do. Um, and in this case, you know, Pat is uh, in some ways reactionary, like she's reacting to what's going on, um, but it's not in this overblown uh, emotional way. And it's not in this nagging uh, way either. She clearly loves on and is supportive of him and understands that he's superstitious mm. and what's going on here. Uh, but at the same time, she doesn't put up with his BS. Um, huh. And I think, you know, you get some speeches from her toward the end, but you kind of see this subtly throughout the beginning of the episode too. Like when he asks her to cross her fingers, and she's like, well, I'm doing it up here, <laughs> like pointing to her head, yeah, yeah. just like little bits of subversion, like, okay, you're acting a little silly and I'm not going to go along with that, but I'm not going to be, um, you know, mean or, or nasty about it either. I just, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to encourage you to do the same. Right. Um, so I like that, you know, she's loving, but she's not complicit in a destructive behavior. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, there's little bits of, a real relationship I feel in there just just little little digs like anytime me and Chelsea have like little diggy arguments like when they're when they're first interacting with the mystic seer and then he asks he asks it two questions I forget what it is he asks it like two mm -hmm. in a row without pressing the the thing and she mm -hmm. and she she just like inserts a little dig in there like you're only supposed to ask it one question at a time Right, <laughs> like th that whole like you're being you're being silly. Why are we still on this type thing? Uh, right, but it's in that playful way that I feel this happens often when you've just known anyone for a lengthy period of time. Yeah, like it's that like I'm kind of joking, but also I'm kind of annoyed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and again, I think that's more nuanced as opposed to like sometimes the women characters are just like screaming at their poor badgered husbands. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know if that's the reality. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that same scene would be like, 
you are asking it questions. You need to stop asking it questions. <laughs> right. <laughs> how dare you waste our pennies? <laughs> and instead, it's like, what, I'm, I'm going to have to be the frugal one in this family. But again, it's this, haha, jokey, mm-hmm. I don't know, trying to joke him into better behavior. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, the, the, the behavior that he has, right, he's a very superstitious kind of guy. He's got mm-hmm. he's got a rabbit's foot and a four leaf clover, right? Right. Um, and there's this there's this theme going throughout the episode of the superstition versus like confidence of doing your own thing. Yes. Uh, what do you how do you feel about that as far as the theme goes? Uh, for me, it really resonates. I'm not a superstitious person, but um, I do have obsessive compulsive disorder, which I got from my father. So we got the Trekkie and the OCD. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I tend to see it from that perspective because I think in some ways there's an overlap, you know, when Pat is talking to him later in the diner saying, because he said, you know, it predicted that we were going to get hit by that car at three o'clock. And she said, you said three o'clock, like you've had these lines. So you're making yourself do these things. Like you're the one who's decided you, you're the one who decided to leave the diner. You're the one who decided to behave in this way. Um, and you know, from my perspective, you know, anything that makes you alter your behavior or change your perspective or that in any way controls your life, I think it's important to step back and ask like, is it worth it? (laughs) Are you taking, um, good advice from yourself? Are you acting in a way, um, that's allowing you to be controlled by your circumstances? In the case of OCD, it's more just like this part of, uh, my brain saying, uh, you know, your best friend's going to die in a car accident unless you touch this doorknob five times. And the larger part of my brain knows like, that's absurd, but there's a small part that asks, what if, And I think you see that in Dawn, like, but what if it is true? Like, what if I do need to behave in this way? And what if I don't, something bad does happen? Will I be able to live with myself? And that's the struggle that you see happening. Um, And Pat, ultimately, her answer is, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter what if. It doesn't matter if that thing can tell the future. What matters is you taking action and, and taking agency in your own life. Yeah. And I think that's still a really um, resonant, pertinent um, message today. You know, that part of human nature, I don't think, uh, ever really changes. And maybe we don't all walk around with a uh, rabbit's foot in our <laughs> pocket. But I do know some superstitious people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know people who uh, still read their horoscopes or consult psychics and they might laugh about it and be like, Oh, well, it's not really true, but there's clearly a part of them that is asking that. Well, what if, yeah. um, and still allowing that to dictate some part of their life or justify parts of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned him taking agency, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it's, and it's interesting that the, that in the middle of the episode, the first time he actually takes agency is when they're about to cross the street. Right. And yes. And the, and the truck's coming and she's like, no, let's let's wait. And he's like, no, it's okay, we can make it. And and that's the time that they almost they almost get hit by this car when he makes right. that decision. So I I don't know what that that means necessarily, but I thought that was interesting that the when he take when he shows that confidence, that's when he's getting into the the danger. 
Huh, yeah. No, that's interesting. It's such an odd scene, too, the way it was filmed. Like, oh. I don't know if the execution was, like, <laughs> quite what they were after, but it almost seems like he's, like, pushing her in the way of the car <laughs> yeah. and then grabbing her feet. Like, oh, what? That almost happened to us. It, you know, it's like, it's going to be okay. Push. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we, we can make it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an odd, odd I, scene. Uh, the the other the other way you can read it too is maybe that's that's his still his kind of like self fulfilling prophecy, sure. saying like oh yeah we should we should have left we should have left on time see see what happens mm-hmm. All right. um then what the as as far as the superstition goes and like I there's this at my work there's there's these white tiles and then darker tiles and then black tiles Mm -hmm. and for like the last two months i just got into the habit of just avoiding the black tiles every single time (laughs) for no reason whatsoever just because i want to see how long i can uh, never touch those black tiles but it looks really weird when i'm in uh, my uniform and i'm just like swerving left and right and like colonels (laughs) are like past me going what is this guy doing uh but anyways that's that's an aside um the you mentioned the horoscopes, and I wrote mm-hmm. I wrote this down. I think it's I think horoscopes are so interesting because, like, I can write a horoscope and and tell you like, hey, you're gonna have a great day today, <laughs> right? And you'll be like, yeah, yeah, I did have a great day today. You're you're right, Brandon. <laughs> um, is there? I don't know. It, when you watch this episode and you see some of the questions that he, well, some of the answers that he gets, mm-hmm. I mean, do do you feel like that is actually telling his future, or or he's saying like, no, that's that's text based misconception, right, right. Well, that's the real question because you know at the very beginning he's getting these vague answers, and they're all you know general. Uh, answers but the fact that they continue to match up exactly with what he's asking Mm -hmm. um you know i don't know what the probability for that is but if you ask a magic eight ball something so many times there's going to be a certain point at which like it just doesn't really resonate with the question like it doesn't really make sense or seem in any way to and so you just shake again and just pretend that didn't happen (laughs) um but you know, in Don and Pat's case, like every single answer um, seems to fit, well, just like he says. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the best, you know, the, the really genius of the writing is that you can look at that and be like, this is just all in Don's head. It's simply because he's a superstitious person. And so he's creating this narrative for himself. He's guiding the machine along. Um, and so this isn't a supernatural tale at all. Um, but you can just as easily say, but he's asked this, um, mystic steer so many questions. And then we see Pat ask these questions specifically to try to, um, entrap the mystic steer as it were, you know, to ask if what, if was it Columbus, if they would make it there in time, yeah. even though they weren't going through that city, and will I ever be married, even though she clearly already was, and still the mystics here um, gave questions that seemed to be really pertinent. Um, so you can just as easily say, well, you know, if you look at the probability, like, that's just crazy that it's answered those questions, like, 
so many times in that way. Um, So it could just as easily be a message here that tells the future. I mean, it's the Twilight Zone, so why not? But um, I think the beauty of it is that you can look at it two different ways. You know what we should have done is just formulated some questions we should have just we should have just asked each other questions and then use the mystic seer's answers yes. to, to see if they apply right yeah because the more i talk about it now the more i'm curious to go back in and like plug in just random questions and see if they seem to be answered as as well as his own <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah so, no just as pat says she's you know i don't want to know what's happened what's going to happen um i want to make it happen and i think uh, the the nice thing as a viewer of this episode is, you know, in some of the Twilight Zone episodes, crazy things happen. But, you know, especially from our perspective in 2016, we can just sort of like chuckle at them and be like, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and how could they ever believe this? Um, but I think a nice thing about uh, the script is that it puts you almost in the perspective of Don, where you're going back and forth and being like, well, but does it can it really tell the future? Like, is that what the point of this is Mm -hmm. or, or can it not? So I think you're able to maybe empathize with Don's point of view a little more uh, than in an average episode. I don't know. What do you think? Right. I, we, I think that even if, even if someone is inherently superstitious, there's, we've all had something in our lives where we said, uh, we shouldn't, I shouldn't do that just in case. You know, or right. like like karma. That's you know, that's that's another superstition to me, right? Like, don't step on a crack, break your mother's back. Ugh. Like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've like even now where where I avoid cracks. Just it, and I don't believe it, but in the back of my head, it's somewhere. It's like, don't don't step on that. <laughs> right, or like knock on wood. If I say anything that has to do with like my career, my yeah. family, or future, like e- even though I don't believe it, there's still that part of me like, haha. Oh well, this is vinyl. It'll have to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just 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 in case. Uh, right. You uh, in Lucky Few, there's there's a uh, when Sanger's going. I think it's Sanger, right? Uh huh. Um, they're they're going through a, a a yellow light, right? And she mm-hmm. she kisses kiss hand. And puts it on top of the 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 uh, the, the roof of the car, right? Uh-huh. Like that's like I've I've done that. Well, the opposite. I usually pull the kiss down, but uh-huh. uh, but that's I mean that's something I do, and that's another you know depending on who you are, uh, kind of like cool, lucky, got it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> this is this is a very kind of hypothetical question. The Obviously, there's another man and woman in this town who are coming back uh-huh. to this mystic seer, and the the diner operator, the the owner of the diner, doesn't seem to notice or care. And so, very very hypothetical. But does this guy know that there's something up with this mystic seer? Yes, I had the same question, and also why he's so obsessed with his chicken fried steak. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody eat my damn chicken fried steak. <laughs> he was like, he was such a weird character because he seemed so pleasant at times, and then it was like this really passive aggressive. <laughs> like you would have been happier if you got the chicken fried steak. Yeah. <laughs> remark like her bread is stale. You just like see him in the back of the kitchen, be like, oh, I'm gonna give him stale bread. It won't have my steak. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he is. He's an odd character. I get like a weird vibe from him. And I don't know 
if that was Matheson's intent or not, or the director's intent even. Um, the chicken fried steak really threw me for a loop because it'd been a long time since I watched this episode. And generally I think like writers are going to hold to Chekhov's gun and that if there's, you know, if there's a rifle in the first scene, then it better be fired by the third scene. And if this is brought up twice, it has to have some significance, but it, it just really doesn't. <laughs> so I didn't know if that was just to give this characteristic of this guy as being like slightly off. And yeah, it's extremely hypothetical, but I like to think that he does know, and he's just a slightly evil old man sitting over there by the counter chuckling at people yeah. while their lives away. And, and he's just like eating just so much chicken fried steak. <laughs> yeah exactly like that like that's that's their punishment that's that's his punishment on them you know twilight zone has morals that his moral is if you don't eat my chicken fried steak you're gonna get caught up in in telling your future there you go i think we've settled it oh my god we just wrote a sequel (laughs) it also threw me off a little that they ordered iced coffee like i know that's not a modern concept but to me it seems like Maybe it's just because all the hipsters like their iced coffee these days. Cold brew. I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> I was like, it's 1960 and they're getting an iced coffee. How, <laughs> how interesting. This just shows my um, chronological ignorance. Yeah. I don't know. but Yeah, I thought, I thought it was weird <clears throat> that he ordered a tall caramel macchiato. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was weird so to me. So weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The yeah. foresight sterling and his writers had to include these starbucks references a grande astonishing grande mocha frap (sighs) for pat (laughs) just another instance of why it's so relevant to this day (laughs) (laughs) uh you know Uh, you know what else i thought was was weird was uh, uh, obviously that these this mystic seer is a thing uh in this it's ohio it's ohio it's 1960, and there are devil heads on top of all these machines. Does that seem? Yeah. That, that, I I know that was that wasn't part of the original script. Um, they actually Wait. they actually just added it. But I thought that <clears throat> I feel like that's a little weird for for that area in the 60s. For sure, yeah. It doesn't really seem like something you'd have in a small town in the Midwest. I don't know, but although because I like to research these things. I do know that like satanic panic didn't really get like up and rearing until the eighties. Okay. So I wonder if it was more just this innocuous thing. Uh, I don't know. It is, it is a curious addition because I wouldn't think twice if they were in New York because anything is possible in New York. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, it is a little odd. I did read yet yeah, that they added that later and I think it was a good, uh, I think it's a good addition because there's those shots that just sort of focus in on that mm-hmm. little head bobbling and it's so ridiculous, but at the same time, it's definitely got this sense of menace to it that I think there wouldn't be if he was just addressing a napkin holder. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There, you know, it, it gives it personality. It gives it like, it, it yeah. actually gives it character compared to, I'd say the, the fever, right? The, the casino. <laughs> right. Franklin. Oh god. Or <laughs> the slot yeah. machine didn't have like a face really kind of till the end. Like Yeah. Like this this starts off with just like, hey, here's this machine, here's this devil head staring at you, and it's gonna tell you maybe tell you your future. Great. Um, that's a good point though. I, I didn't think about that, that 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 does seem a little odd. Yeah. Um, um, um Yeah, those devil heads. 
I should I should get one of those machines at some point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that they sell them. That's a nice little piece of merch there. But but then I'll never leave the house because <laughs> it'll, right. it'll 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 never let me. You'll be enslaved by tyranny and helpless dread. <laughs> um, oh. So as you know, I oh well, actually, any any final thoughts? I do have. Okay, I guess this is just a regional survey because I watched this with a couple of friends okay. at one point. I watched it a few times. And at the beginning, do you remember he um, he and Pat are walking along the street and he says bread and butter? Okay. And he like pulls her towards him. Okay. Yeah, I know. Do you did you did you ever play that bread and butter? Like, do you know the superstition? No. Nope. I see. I think this is a southern thing because I had not heard of it. I grew up in like central Kentucky, which huh. I guess some might consider the south, but. It's like more of a Midwestern feel. Uh, and then I went down to school in Alabama and my best friend there um, were really close friends. So we'd like, you know, walk together across campus and um, walk a lot of places. And whenever we encountered like a light post or a trash can or something, and we sort of had to like navigate our way around it and separate. Mm. The idea was she said bread and butter. And then whoever said bread and butter first, the other person has to say, come to supper when you meet up again. And it's like some superstition <laughs> that unless you say these words, it's a portent that you are going to be separated some way or, you know, something bad's going to happen to the relationship. And it's like this common superstition for like couples or also close friends yeah. to say as they're walking along. Mm. So I just like, um, I liked that there was just even that little hint of like his superstition because I've read some critique of the episode, like just on IMDb and stuff about uh. people being like, and his superstitions just seem, seem to come out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden he's a superstitious man. But I think Madison actually did a good job of leaving them like these little cutesy superstitions, even at the beginning. Yeah. But I was curious because I'd asked my other friends who aren't from the South and like, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and like, I hadn't heard of it until I was, I guess, like 18. So I was just curious if that was uh, a rural thing or a southern thing or what. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd never, I'd never heard of it to, to be honest. With you. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, maybe I'll start saying it. I mean, yeah, still not sure. knowing what it is, but you know, still <laughs> just saying it in general. Uh, it's very fun. <laughs> The, I don't I don't know where the critiques are from his uh, superstition coming out of nowhere because because as you said those those things were hinted at and you know with the fingers crossing or when he goes to the phone she you know looks at his keys and sees the the clover uh -huh. clover in the, the rabbit's foot and when I first watched it again this time around I, I first I made the note like oh she's superstitious but it was it was her like just thinking about how superstitious this guy is. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think even in, just in the opening, I think she mentioned something about um, like his confidence and she, she loves how confident he is, a confident man. Yes, yeah. Which then harkens back to, well, harkens later to the outro narration uh, talking about the confidence of moving forward, the counterbalance between superstition and confidence. Yeah. How did you feel about that last scene? Because I love it. I think it's it's super spooky. Of, of the um, of the, the the other couple. I, <laughs> did you feel like it? Yeah. 
Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I I I, lo I loved it. I loved it because they they come in and they they look so despondent and <laughs> yeah. scraggly and and I don't know how long they've been in this city, but but clearly they feel like they've been there forever. Mm -hmm. And it, there's, I don't know why it reminds me of uh, Matheson's uh, Button Button or, mm -hmm. or the, the box, just like this, this couple that are just trapped in, um, uh, just trapped by a machine and they don't, yeah. they, they, they let, they let the machine take over instead of their, their own lives. Right. Yeah. I think that's definitely what makes it a Twilight Zone episode because I don't know, they leave. And your assumption is always because rarely do the main characters of a Twilight Zone episode have something nice happen to them. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they're going to get hit by a car now, like, <laughs> because they defied the mystic sphere. Um, and I like that it did give a happy ending to Don and Pat, but then it uh, immediately switches back to this much darker ending for another couple. And I think that does point to it being, again, it's just up to your perspective. Like, oh, so it must really be supernatural, like this uh insidious devil's head has some sort of sway over them or you can just be like oh well there's another superstitious sucker it's too bad <laughs> and, the, and the diner's um, just in the background saying you guys should have eaten my chicken fried steak too <laughs> yeah just chuckling as he fries up another one <laughs> uh, <laughs> they really missed a lot there that could have been a great closing shot yeah there, there's there's so, there's so much gold there's so much gold in that that chicken fried steak Indeed. <laughs> I, that makes me hungry also. Uh, mm. it, to be fair, uh, for the diner, I mean, chicken fried steak sounds so much more appetizing to me than uh, a, just whole wheat bread and a piece of tomato. Right. That's... Like, you can make that at home, man. <laughs> How often do you make a chicken fried steak? Yeah, come on, Don. Just go to the just go to the grocery store and grab a tomato and eat it. I bet... I bet it's based on some superstition. He has like something against chickens oh. or eating chicken before two o'clock in the afternoon. That's a, that's a good call. Maybe we'll just, mm. we'll just go that route, man. Yeah. This chicken before two o'clock stuff. Mm. Because otherwise, how can you possibly justify them refusing chicken fried steak? God. It's gotta be the superstition. Yeah. Uh, with their iced coffee. <clears throat> yes. <Ugh. laughs> uh, How's by you, Donzi and Patsy? <laughs> it should, it should. Did you catch that? <laughs> uh, wait, what, what, what was that? When he when he's talking about the mystics here, and Pat's like, well, it's just giving you generic answers. And he's like, what do you expect it to say? How's by you, Donzi and Patsy? <laughs> and I was like, where does that? Is that the hip speak of the day? Is that like how the beatnik speak, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and just... I, you know, I, uh, that reminds me, I did like, I, I, for, there was a line that he said, which is, yeah, I can go to a different machine. It might have the same, it might have similar answers, but it won't have the same answers. Right. I, I, I thought that was, I thought that was really cool or maybe creepy, whatever that he's like, I know, <laughs> I know they're going to give me generic answers, but this is the one that's giving me the generic answers that apply to me. <laughs> right it's, it's, right it, it's like going to a doctor for a second opinion when you think you have uh gallstones already you're like i don't need to talk <laughs> to you this doctor knows what what's up yeah yeah and i think even that is just a good it's just good writing that it's not this clear black and white like he's not just this fanatic like there's a part of him that recognizes the absurdity like he knows what his issue is yeah, and yeah. yet there's still that part of his brain that like it's, it's again that what if part that like no 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 but 
what if this is the one mystic seer that can really tell our future? And yeah. yeah, I think Matson did a really good job of writing that, that you don't, you, you still sympathize for him. You just don't think that he's, or at least I do, you right. know, uh, you just don't think that he's totally loony. I, I, I do. I do. I, I feel <clears throat> for him. We're all a yeah. little crazy sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and it's a feat to feel something for William Shatner, the hand that he is. So <laughs> I'd say well, it's, good acting, he was, good he was writing. Hot. He was hot. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, and just a side note about his acting, there's he does some things, just very subtle things with his acting that I'm like, yeah, he was he was pretty good back then. Yeah, yeah. The only piece of direction that I thought was like, and I don't know if it was direction or it was just Shatner's call that was hammy. Do you remember the part where he just like sort of like clutches onto the the napkin holder? Yeah, she's yeah. like confronting him, and he's just like, oh, and it's just. <laughs> It's a little over the top, maybe. Yeah. Uh, like like typical Shatner. That's young yeah, typical. Yeah, that's Shatner. where you get like a Captain Kirk vibe. Like, ah, oh, systems are down. <laughs> but um, aside from that, yeah, yeah, there were. I was very pleasantly surprised. It's definitely, I think, the um, quieter of his two roles yes. because later in uh, the Gremlin episode, he definitely yeah. goes off the deep end. He's, he's much more yeah. manic. Yes. And, yeah. and I also, you talk about three-dimensional female characters. I compare Pat to his wife in uh, Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet, and and you and you could tell the the difference in characterization there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, I think I heard, and this is just like through my like wanderings of the the deep dark places of the internet. But <laughs> I heard that Reddit. Uh, <laughs> hey <yo. laughs> uh that Matheson said later, because um, he wrote both episodes, mm-hmm. um, yeah. both William Shatner episodes, that he regretted them not being able to cast or him not writing in The Wife is Pet because you could uh, technically look at this as the same character if you wanted to. And yeah. he has some similarities. He's a bit high strung, a bit anxious. And this could have been later in his life after uh, a breakdown. And I think that's an interesting idea. Um, that's amazing. But yeah oh my god my mind you can't see it from where you are but my mind is is blowing right now (laughs) it's just a nice little uh thought experiment yeah but i don't really remember anything about his wife from the second episode except that there's just this one shot that's in my head of her having those like huge eyes like what is happening (laughs) (laughs) and that's about all i remember so so maybe it's for the best because I wouldn't have liked to have seen Pat sort of relegated to the sidelines because that story isn't about the wife. It's really just about showdown with the gremlin. Yeah, on the wing. yeah. Some play some sticks. <laughs> and there's an yellow song showdown. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, overall, so I, I ask everyone to to rate in whatever rating they choose. What do you rate this episode? Huh. Um. You know, it's not one of like my top 10 or top 15, but it, I think it's just a really solid episode. And like I said, I think it's still like really pertinent. So I'd give it, mm, I would say 8.8 Mystic Seer Bubbleheads out of 10. All right. 8.8. Yeah. Uh, cool. I, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I give it, uh, I'm, I'm at the eight and a half devil devil machines awesome <laughs> um we we really should we should remake this episode and then change the bobblehead to like maybe maybe like a, a gremlin 
like Spike yes. from Gremlins. Yeah. And, and see, and and then and then tie in Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet still again to this episode, even more so. Oh my word. Oh my god. The Gremlin We'd be doing good work. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, let me let me get started on my nano right right mo. Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, thank you. Write you. that novel. <laughs> well, thank you so much for for talking to me about the episode. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Absolutely, thank you so much for letting me chime in. Um, now, I want to I want to switch it up, and I want to just talk to you a little bit about uh, your your stuff, what what you've done, and, and where you're from, and and about about you about you a little bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> um. Yeah. Go. So, like you said in your excellent intro, uh, I write children's and young adult fiction. Um, I currently have three books out. So the first is a portal fantasy for, uh, they call them middle grade readers. So it's a read aloud for younger children, but also um, a read alone for like middle school aged kids. Um, And when pressed, I like to say it's Alice in Wonderland meets Wizard of Oz. So it's about this 12 year old girl who's looking for a cure for her sick best friend. And she goes down the roots of an apple tree as one does. Um, and discovers this magical, um, new world and, uh, yeah, goes on tons of adventures. Uh, it's a straight portal fantasy, exactly what you would expect from one. Uh, so yeah, that was my debut, The Water in the Wild, and it came out last spring. And then the sequel just came out last month in October. It's The Doorway in the Deep. Uh, and then I also write contemporary realist fiction, um, with Simon and Schuster and my debut, this year was Lucky Few, yeah. uh, which you mentioned. Uh, and then, yeah, I got another one coming out uh, next summer called Tosh Hart's Tolstoy. So, um, yeah, I got a couple more books under contracts. Just keep writing, working on projects. It's kind of the dream for an English major. So I feel uh, really lucky to be able to do what I do. Um, yeah, that's, <clears throat> that, that's really cool. Like, how, how long have you been writing? Have you been writing ever since you're uh, a child? Yeah, it's not a super interesting story. I don't have like any like crazy story of drug abuse or anything <laughs> like some of the greats. Uh, but when I was a kid, I just was obsessed with books and I started writing when I was little. And then in college, um, I thought, well, maybe I can actually do this uh, full time. And that hadn't ever really been on my radar. It's kind of one of those things like you think is as possible as becoming an astronaut. Yeah. Or the president. Um, but the more I researched, the more I realized it was definitely within the realm of possibilities. So I, I wrote my first novel and queried when I was uh, 18 slash 19 hmm. um, and then got signed on with an agent and have been writing ever since. That's, so that's really, uh, that's really awesome. That's really awesome. I, you know, as a, as a, as a kid, I, I wanted to write, you know, I'd write some really, really stupid stories and then, mm-hmm. and then, some somewhere along the line, I lost time doing other stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so authors and, and writing so much is really, I, I'm I'm impressed by it. And I, I mentioned the Nano Rimo, uh, yeah. National Novel Writing <laughs> Month, and uh-huh. which I didn't hear about. I didn't know it was a thing until the beginning, uh, the the first of November, obviously. And, oh, really? And so I was like, all right, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. So, so I'm sixteen thousand words into my fifty thousand words. Yes, that's amazing. It, I mean, it, whatever I have sucks right now because it. Actually, oh sure, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like just <laughs> it like I just uh, devolves into talking to myself, <laughs> like typing to myself, like something I would say to myself. But uh, it, the, just the process is is really awesome and amazing that 
that you have a job doing this, something that you love? Sure. Yeah. Like I said, I, I really, really feel so lucky and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be bummed out that what you're writing doesn't look so great. Cause that's how I write every first draft. I call it word vomit. It's like <laughs> puke all over the page. And then I think it's really in like editing and re-editing and editing again and getting other people to look at it, that it actually becomes a story. Yeah. <laughs> um, it- and yeah, so that's basically my career is editing, not even like writing so much. It's just like, hacking away at words when when you're writing a new novel right do you mm-hmm. you know you you're, you're word vomiting and do you do you have to like keep telling yourself look i know it's not going to be good i i know that this is just puke and then i'll have to like alphabet soup it later uh, yeah and then when you when you pass it off to someone you're like oh, god uh please <laughs> go easy on me <laughs> Like, is that, is there that, that sense of kind of dread, even though no, you know absolutely. it's going to be bad? Uh, yeah. Yeah. One of the best, um, bits of writing I've ever heard on this is Ira Glass with This American Life. Mm-hmm. He's, a, I think it went viral for a little bit on the internet, but there's like this little snippet about him talking about the writing process and that one of the most difficult parts of writing is that if you read good fiction and you read good books and you love good stories, you know what good looks like. And so you have an objective in mind and you put it down on paper and yet you can see that the execution isn't living up to what um, you're after. And that's like the hardest part is like trying to bridge that gap between what you know is good and then what you're actually putting out on the page. So yeah. And that's just something that never really goes away. Like I've always written crappy first drafts and I think I always will, like unless you're prodigious, like Mozart level writer, which there certainly are those, but I am not one of them. (laughs) Um, yeah, it, it, there's always this sense of like self-doubt and loathing. And I will say like, I just checked off on the first pass pages for my novel that's coming out in June. Yeah. And this always happens. So I know it's normal, but when I'm done, I was just like, this is a heaping pile of crap. This is <laughs> the worst thing on earth. It's like you see one misplaced adverb and it's just like doom and gloom. So I would say, yeah, that's, that's never something that leaves you. And it's not something to stop you from writing. But um, I think the key is like to just keep writing, like keep writing crap until it's not crap anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a muscle. And you got to you got to strengthen that strengthen that muscle. I don't know. Why I'm yeah, I, I'm like pretending to run as I say strengthen. That muscle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Good illustration. I, uh, I, w- I wanted to ask, uh, um, how much of yourself do you put into your, your writing? Like, like, because right. I, I, you write about, you know, a lot of people write about what they know. And obviously you didn't go down an apple tree into, into the roots. Uh, how do you know, Brandon? <laughs> obviously, obviously, obviously you did it. Did you? Did you? What if? <laughs> no, yes, no, I did not. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, maybe you did. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not eradicating that possibility. Uh, but but how much? I mean, how how much do you put into your writing? Like in, like in Lucky Few, for instance. Uh, there's talking about like homeschooling, being uh, in Austin. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, Lucky Few definitely is more autobiographical than some of my other books because the main character is homeschooled, and I was a homeschooler. No way. Get yeah. Out of here. <laughs> 
I was one of those weirdos. Um, and yeah, and I lived in Austin for a bit. So that was a, a big inspiration for, for why I set the book there. Um, but that being said, Stevie, the main character, really isn't much like me. There's still going to be parts of me in her, though. Yeah. I said like a couple years ago to a friend of mine, and I was very proud of myself. If you're not a Harry Potter fan, this might just like be completely worthless and like it's a little bit like horcruxes okay just like take a little bit of your soul and put it into a book (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like maybe there's just like little bits scattered in there but i try not to make it autobiographical first of all because it's kind of boring and second of all because uh i think i wouldn't be able to objectively look at criticism as well if you feel like someone is criticizing you i'm like this character raises bland then uh (laughs) might not be so good for you um So yeah, it's definitely, and no one writes in a vacuum, and I think we all have to draw on our own life experiences and our own way of looking at the world. Um, But that's why it's really helpful for me to have, like, beta readers and critique partners who have different perspectives so they can come in and be like, this doesn't really ring true for me, or I think this is just a you thing, Catherine, (laughs) Um, because that that is always um, a possibility. I'm not someone who just pretends that I exist in this complete vacuum right. devoid of any of my own personal trappings. <laughs> but the worst question I always get is if people think I base a character off of them, which I do not. They're all just composites. <laughs> but every time I write a book, my mother immediately looks for any sort of maternal character. Yeah. And it's like, this is me, isn't it? You think I'm a horrible mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could see, I could see that. I could say I, I like my, everything I've done so far, like the first chapter I wrote, one of my friends read it. He's like, so did you just write about your weekend with Chelsea? I was like, uh, yeah, it's not supposed to be, but, uh, uh, and then, and then like, I use like little like references to like her parents and my parents. And I just know, uh-huh. and I just know that if they ever read this, they'd be like, that's what you think of me. You're, you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't imagine people who do like memoirs or like creative nonfiction because then you just know, man. You just know exactly who they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't bear that. Mom, you did this to me. <laughs> um, yeah. You, you. Uh, I, I know this had to have been just autobiographical, but in Lucky Few, Max is he's trying to go twenty-three ways to die without killing yourself. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is that's that's probably what you've done, right? That's that's what you did as a kid. No. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I thought I thought that's such a a cool uh, addition to the the story. Like it's it's a unique way of of getting almost like I'm a big horror fan, so mm-hmm. like having these different ways of dying in there is mm-hmm. that's awesome to me. What uh where did that where did that come from? I guess. So I'm a pretty morbid person. I come by it honestly. (laughs) My mom like really loves true crime and like any like old campy black and white horror movies. So my sister and I grew up on classics like The Bad Seed and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yes. uh, I wrote the letter to Daddy. (laughs) Exactly that. (laughs) (laughs) And then on my dad's side, like I said, he's a big Trekkie, but um. He's an engineer and just like a huge space fan in general. He actually built a life-size replica of the Apollo 11 command module in our basement. 
and it's the best thing, which I took for granted growing up as a kid. I feel like there was a certain point. I really wish I could just remember the conversation I was having with my kid and with my friends. And I was like, oh, wait, you don't have a space shuttle that's, in your basement? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's impressive. I, I'm impressed when I follow the directions correctly for a Millennium Falcon Lego set. Right? Me too. But my dad's just out of control. So I got it like from both sides of like my dad's obsession with like anything off or like sci-fi. And then my mom's obsession for like horror and true crime. And I have one older sister and we're both the same way. Like we're just, I think maybe a little unhealthily obsessed with like death and murder and the underbelly of the world. So, um, so that kind of came naturally. And, uh, I love the movie Harold of Maude. And so that okay. was my most direct uh inspiration for that so so yeah there's a little bit of me and max as well that morbid side and that like i I really think about death i think more than the the average person it's like something i give at least 15 minutes to every day so um yeah i guess harold and maude was the the direct inspiration but it's you know a lifetime of obsession with all things dark (laughs) gotcha yeah i i think i think death is a very i think i think as the our society needs to to talk more about death in general yeah Uh, absolutely uh tiffany another guest my my friend she we've we've had this conversation on the show before um Mm -hmm. but uh on my other podcast my co-host and i travis we talked about um ai like uh, yeah. like black black mirror like kind of black mirror the guy becomes a a robot and right, based off his right. like digital footprint and there's an actual company that did this made it to where you get the texts and the emails and all this stuff and it gave a response that sounded like this dead loved one and so uh. so i think that's all kind of morbid and interesting and creepy it is but, in, yeah. but important too no, I agree. You know, like I like make fun of myself for being like some sort of like deviant, but I think it should be like I don't know. I think I think it should be brought up more in conversation. I think maybe we have such an obsession with keeping ourselves young and like we live we've got it better than ever in the Western world and we have quite a long life expectancy and so it's not something that's in our mind as much as it was even a hundred years ago. Mm. <clears throat> um and I don't think we really have as much respect for older people and the way we treat funerals and grieving. I think it's just a little bit more callous nowadays. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's something that does need to be talked about more because as tried as this sounds, I think death makes life worth it. Um, something ending makes life more beautiful. Yeah. And if you're taking that for granted, then, you know, life's going to be a little less fun. So just my two cents. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take it. I'll take your two cents, and I'll I'll hey. put it I'll put it in a deposit, and then hope and then it'll build interest. <laughs> whoa, that was like a double meaning. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> My head. As long bl- as you don't. <laughs> head's exploding all over the place. <laughs> as long as you don't blow it on the Mystic Sierra, that's not what those two cents were for. <laughs> no, no, n- never, never. That 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 okay. creepy gremlin head. Mystic Sphere. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, well, well. Thank you so much for all of that. Is how can how can people get a hold of you or, or yeah. look more into your work? 
Sure. So um, you can visit my website, which is K.E. Ormsby. K.E. Ormsby is my pen name for middle grade books, and that's what I stuck with. So it's K-E-O-R-M as in mother, S-B as in boy, E-E, old Viking name, dot com. Um, and then you can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram at Kathsby, it's K-A-T-H-S-B-Y. And this is a weird plug, and I, I think it's okay because it's not in direct competition with your podcast, Brandon. But my sister and I do love true crime, and we're starting a podcast um, that's going to start mid-December um, called Family Plots, and specifically about family-related true crime. So crime families, murder within families, creepy family stories, all of Grey Gardens. Um, oh. So we'll be there um, starting December, early January. You can can also find me there. Okay, right, right on. Um yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that because I was starting a true crime podcast, <laughs> also Donna? called 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 Family uh, Plots. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, what? Yeah, in that, around that same time frame. So it's it's. I mean, I guess yeah. I guess we could have more than one. Maybe I mean can't both steal from Alfred Hitchcock, but yeah. you want it. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> and and it's also gonna be hosted by by. Catherine Ormsby and and my sister, because that's my oh. uh, that's a weird. I don't know what I was going with. That. I was going to pretend like my <laughs> name was Catherine. It's it's stupid because I have evidence to the contrary. Yeah, yeah, it was going real Twilight Zone there for a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, well, is is that going to be on like iTunes and on all that stuff? Yeah, we'll have it on iTunes. We're going to get up a site. Um, we're doing our first recording. She's coming on for Thanksgiving. Aww. So what better? to celebrate a family holiday i'm talking about murder uh, per- <laughs> with your sister perfect <laughs> yeah so so yeah we should have that up on itunes and we'll have a site for it later but um i'm looking forward to it oh. obviously a deep obsession of mine excellent excellent well well thank you so much for that i look i look forward to listening to it yeah thank you so much for um just letting me talk and plug my stuff i really appreciate it no problem. Anytime. Anytime you're on the show, or even if you're not, and you just call in and you say, hey, plug this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for everyone else out there who wants to get a hold of me, perhaps, mayhaps, you can do that in a few ways. I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash S4YA podcast, Instagram and Twitter, S4YA underscore podcast. I did that a little more efficiently this time. Email S4YA podcast at gmail.com. You can give me a call and leave a voicemail. Nobody does, but you can if you want. 860-GO-TZ-POD. Also, website, apatheticenthusiasm.com slash submitted for your approval. Go ahead and search that out. I am still on geekade.com. You can find me over there as well. And, of course, iTunes, Stitcher, Pod Bay, Pod Pirate, Pod Pod Banana, any any podcasters, um, all over the place. But anyways, hey, thank you again, and until next week, I'm Brandon Cruz, and this is submitted for your approval. <laughs> <laughs>